91.3 WLRN presents Topical Currents. This hour we discuss journalism education and consider how today's professionals train for the news business. Good afternoon, Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman. Now most everyone has the means to write and be read or heard worldwide. Hard copy newspapers face continued reader and advertiser losses. TV network news has a narrowed demographic, and most people use smartphones for information, often at the will of bloggers. How does this change the role of the professional journalist, or does it? We have the Dean of the University of Missouri School of Journalism with us, as well as its Reynolds Institute Research Center Executive Director. That's coming up back in minutes after NPR and Regional News. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman is today's topical current. Sorry for having a little bit of technical difficulty. Well, this hour we discuss today's journalism with two leading educators from the acclaimed Missouri School of Journalism. How is journalism education adapted to vast technological changes and upheavals in the news business? With us now is Dean and Professor of the Missouri School of Journalism, Dave Kirpius. His teaching and research has centered on broadcast journalism, public civic journalism, hyperlocal media, ethics, and diversity. His experience includes 10 years in TV news reporting and management. Welcome, Dean Kirpius. Well, good afternoon. Glad to be here. Well, it's Sorry, good to we have had you. a little visitor named uh, Irma interrupt <laughs> our program two weeks ago for this program. Well, but it, it ended up being a, a good thing because the not a good thing that it happened, but uh, the students and faculty at the Missouri School of Journalism got to help out, and uh, through the good work of you guys, uh, we got to help Miami and help Florida get better resources and understand what was going on. So um, I like the connection. Well, wow. we, we thank you very okay, much. Okay, thank you. And well, actually, we were spared. But <laughs> yeah. also with us, the, the executive director of the university's Reynolds Journalism Institute, Randy Pickt. And he spent nearly 30 years with the Associated Press. He was its business editor and has been a newspaper consultant. Welcome to you, Randy Pickt. Both join us from Columbia, Missouri, station KBIA-FM. Randy, welcome. Thank you very much. Could you speak up a little bit or get a little more on mic? Oh, sorry. How's that? Is that better? Follow your engineer's bidding there. Get them a little closer. Yeah. Okay, well, welcome to both of you. All right, how's that? Is that better? Yeah. That's much better. There you are. There we go. (laughs) All right. Okay, so with all the criticism, the frequent criticism we hear about journalism, do you consider it to be in crisis? And you can each respond, beginning with you, Dean Kirpius. I actually don't think it's in crisis. I think that it's a critical time in the history of the United States where journalism is really doing some fantastic work. We care about facts and we care about getting stories out uh, about the uh, officials and the the government that that serves us, and I think that there are, there are lots of great examples of great journalism going on. Uh, so I don't see it in, in in crisis. In fact, I think the golden age may still be ahead of us. Okay, and Randy picked. Well, I I concur. I think the you know the idea throughout the history of journalism is there's always been some 
major changes when, you know, we went from we had just newspapers and then all of a sudden radio came in and then TV came in and and now we have the internet and we have social media kind of coming back to back and um you know it's not it, pe- people think it's huge change and uh what's going to happen next but there's lots of opportunities and i think we can see how uh journalism is is growing adapting and uh creating a lot of excitement it's interesting i was just going to add to that yeah it was it's interesting that we talk about um decline in the number of journalists in uh, newsrooms around the country and and that that has happened but the number of journalists overall has not really changed in fact i think it's increased because there are lots of other small outlets and different ways that journalists are covering stories and getting information out to um, citizens. One of the things that has changed is citizens need to be better uh, informed on what is quality fact-gathering, what is quality journalism, what's the source of the information. And so we've seen a resurgence of trust in traditional mainstay journalism organizations. And so uh, in your intro, you were mentioning that uh, there's been a decline in readership. That actually is not true. The New York Times, the Washington Post, and the uh, Columbia Missourian, the community newspaper that our school has published since 1908, have all seen subscriptions go up in the last six months. Hmm. And uh, I think that's a great thing. Uh, we're also seeing that in uh, the uh, it's not what we're, donations what we're hearing from to the Miami public Her- radio. It's not what we're hearing from the Miami Herald. And the size of the paper is immensely smaller. The, the, the size of the paper is smaller, and that has changed. But uh, this is part of a transition into more of a digital realm. And uh, we still have great journalists working down there. Uh, in fact, I met some of our grads who worked down there uh, in the last month. But uh, it, it's important that good journalism is conducted in our cities and counties and and states, but it's being done in a different way, and delivery methods are changing. And so uh, I don't know how you look at different forms of news, but I find some things I like to read on my iPad, some things I still like in paper, uh, love listening to NPR on the way into work in the morning and the way home. And and so I think that the the patterns of how we consume information are changing, and so our organizations that deliver the content have to change to meet those desires and needs. You just brought up something that I really want to address, because with our ultra-connectedness with the rest of the world, do you feel that journalism is losing that local and regional element, that it's becoming more national and international, and thereby communities are not getting some of the information they need to know? You know, I think that there's two answers to that, quite honestly. I think it's great that people are getting more national and international mm-hmm. news. And, and Americans historically have not paid as close of attention to international news. And that is a positive effect of the changes that are going on because it's becoming more of a global economy and we need to pay attention to what's going other on in other parts of the world. I think at the local level um, – There has been some change, and so I think that we do see a decline of some of the coverage of state houses, of city hall meetings, and I'll admit that that 
that coverage isn't always the most um, exciting coverage, <laughs> uh, but it's some of the most important coverage. And we we know that people pay attention still because when a zoning issue comes up in our community or a change in a statute comes up in at the state legislature, we get a lot of input and people show up to the meetings and the comment sections on our, our websites go just absolutely wild. And so people are getting the information. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do at the School of Journalism to be a source of help in this is we have greatly expanded our coverage at the Missouri State House. And so the Missouri School of Journalism, uh, six media outlets, they're all community-facing media outlets, uh, now comprise the largest State House coverage pool at our State House. And we share that audio, video, uh, print information with our constituents and our newsrooms across the state. And I'm seeing that start to happen in other states as well. How about the newspapers there and, and professional, in-depth, uh, professional investigative reporting, say, from the Post-Dispatch or the Kansas City Star? Do we, are we seeing as much of that with the expense that it takes to do true investigative reporting? You, you know, um, I'll jump in there. Uh, Randy. Yes, this is Randy. Um, one of uh, last year, so we at the school, we have the uh, headquarters for the investigative reporters and editors. And um, I would say it's probably one of the most vibrant uh, news organizations, trade organizations uh, in the industry today. I went uh, down to their um, annual meeting last year in New Orleans and I think they had over 2,000 people, uh, 2,000 reporters. Uh, rooms were overflowing. People were sitting on the floor. There was uh, special sessions for, for uh, television journalists and, of course, teams of uh, newspaper reporters. Uh, some newspapers were sending four or five people down there. And the energy was just unbelievable. And, you know, other organizations, other trade organizations are uh, don't get that that amount of people. So there's there's a tremendous amount of interest in doing investigative reporting as uh you know kind of something that is it's always been important but it's going to be critical to the survival of uh, news organizations going forward. So you're saying it's at the same level as say 10 or 15 years ago in in major newspapers? Um or that the convention was well attended? The, well, the convention is well attended, and I think that uh, it's probably at the same level. It's hard to assess that, uh, you know, w without really kind of looking at the content. But um, In various markets. It yes. varies by market. Yeah, It, it varies certainly. by market. But the idea that it's recognized in the newsroom as a priority, as newsrooms are looking at how they are going to spend their resources, I think, is 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 significant. Well, one of the things with that question is that I think 15 years ago, investigative reporting was um, actually on the decline, and there wasn't a lot of support in newsrooms for it. What we've seen in the last, I would say, five years maybe, Randy, that uh, that has really turned around. Uh, you know, the national IRE organization has seen a resurgence in its membership. 
and we um, just uh, with the workshops that they produce here in Missouri on our campus, we're seeing lots of professionals coming over, lots of TV, radio, and uh, newspaper organizations sending people to be trained. And I think that uh, Randy's probably right. We're probably about even with where it was 15 years ago, but mm-hmm. instead of being on the decline, it's on the increase. And uh, Raycom, which is a big television ownership group, just formed a brand new um, cross-market investigative unit led by a really fine investigative uh, reporter out of New Orleans. We're seeing uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times significantly grow their investigative uh, units and put money into it. We're seeing some of the uh, nonprofit in- investigative uh, operations like ProPublica uh, showing a lot of growth. Um, And so one of the things, if we just expand this out a little bit, is so, yes, there's lots of opportunity and interest in investigative journalism, and there are good jobs to be had in that that pay well. We're also seeing that with other forms of niche journalism, such as health journalism and medical journalism. We're seeing growth there. We're, we're seeing it in business journalism. I was at, uh, we have a relationship with Bloomberg Media and, and uh, they, there are offices in uh, New York uh, is where I was visiting. And uh, they're, they're trying to really uh, grow the number of people they hire. They're specializing the business coverage. And uh, there's real opportunity for, for good, uh, good jobs that pay well and have career paths. And so I think that, that there are some really bright spots out there in focusing on specific parts of the journalism field. And I, and I think we're seeing it at the school as well. I think the, the investigative classes uh, have more students. They're full. They're full, <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. And the do data you, classes are full as well. Right. You know? Do you have as much demand? Do you have as many applicants as you always have, if not more? Or has that decreased? So it's gone down a little bit. Um, the... Uh, uh, the interest is not nationally is not really waning, but uh, we have seen a, a small decline in the journalism school. Uh, but we also have seen a, a, a growth in our uh, retention and, and graduation rates. And we are actively uh, trying to tell the story of what's going on in journalism, because I think what happens is oftentimes parents hear, oh, journalism is dying. And so they tell their students, oh, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Journalism's dying. Right. And that's not accurate. And that also happens with high school counselors. And, well, and actually, again, actually, it's has not your, accurate. Has your school been uh, affected by the problems over the last couple of years at the University of Missouri with the racial troubles and the firing of the president? And the enrollment is quite down at the University of Missouri the, as a whole. The, yeah, the enrollment is down. So, um, uh, first of all, the the president wasn't fired. He stepped down, as did the chancellor. And uh, the, you know, actually, uh, we stand up for the First Amendment. And it's a big part of what we believe in. And we believe in the totality of it. So we had peaceful protests surrounding graduate student uh, insurance issues and uh, racial issues on campus. Uh it was completely peaceful the entire time, and the students' protesters raised some good uh, issues that we are addressing. I don't think, in my experience in higher ed, that the issues raised here are very different from other campuses I've been on. 
And well, uh, we weren't but getting, I think we're uh, making we weren't getting, we weren't getting into the to the issues in in, in that. But, okay. But just at the, the University of Missouri as well, a whole, so, yeah. enrollment is down. That's the only it is. point. I was it making. is down. Um, I'll, we're seeing a resurgence in that, and that's that's a typical pattern. Um, I, if if you're asking whether we're worried about it, no, we're not worried about it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's coming back, and uh, uh, we've maintained our twenty nine point six. ACT average on the journalism school, which is one of the highest in the country, if not the highest. And so uh, we're, we're very happy with the uh, quality of student who's coming here and their choices to come. But uh, yeah, we have a little work to do to make sure that parents and counselors and students know that this is a really great liberal arts degree. And there's lots of things you can do with it. In fact, one of your uh, residents uh, down in Miami is David Novak, uh, who's the recently retired CEO of Yum Brands, which is Taco Bell and KFC and Pizza Hut. And he just gave $21 million to an endowed program at the university for leadership. And so um, it's a big deal that that's coming here. But, you know, those sorts of things are going to show parents teachers, students, uh, influencers, that well, this I, is a great opportunity. I haven't given an endowment, but I have a degree of, from journalism from you the do, University of Missouri. You do, a good degree. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk. That uh, yeah. was back yeah. in what year, Joe? Class of 73. <laughs> 73. <laughs> I, I, we were debating that. I, was, I thought it might have been 74. But that, that era was a good uh, era because David Novak and his wife, Wendy, uh, both graduated from the journalism school in 1974. So I don't know if you knew David when you were on campus. No, but I, I started in Photo J with Clifford oh. Edom his, his oh, last sure. year there. And oh, I think wow. the year before I got there was when the Missourian finally uh, retired hot type. That's uh, how long ago <laughs> There's still some lead in there the floor of that, that old building. <laughs> yeah. And, and now we're so focused on digital and uh, and growing a digital audience. It's uh, it's changed quite a bit since then. And I was there the first year of KBIA. I worked with Roger Gafke there. Uh, well, and Roger just retired. What yep, a fantastic right. person he was and influenced so many uh, different people. You know, just in general, in terms of teaching journalism today, aside from dramatic technological changes, has much changed in the way of the education of a journalist? Are the principles, the values, the virtues, aren't they, are they pretty much all the same, despite what's happened in the news business itself? I think that the the focus on ethics, the focus on facts, the focus on telling accurate, real stories about real people and real issues hasn't changed. I think our tools have gotten better. And so the advent of big data, which was not here when when Joseph was a was a student, uh, has really changed what we can do. It used to be people kind of had gut reactions to what was going on. And now we can actually bring in these massive data sets and analyze them and show trends and and have good information that that we can react to and we can understand better. And so we just hired a really fantastic big data faculty member who started on the faculty this year. And the interesting thing is he wanted to be over by the Missourian newsroom because while his research is in big data, he wanted access to big data sets and people who knew what to ma- how to make sense of those data sets. Mm. And so um, I think that's changed. Um, And I think that there's also a focus, and and Randy actually can uh, maybe speak to this even more in his position, but a focus on lots of different tools and technologies to use to be better at gathering information. And so the basics of getting good quality factual information hasn't changed, but the tool sets gotten much better. 
Yeah, and I think in some ways, you know, it, it's it's gotten harder. So you can get a photo into the newsroom. You can get a video into the newsroom that purports to be from a real person who witnessed something. And now we have to verify that it's it's legitimate, that it wasn't changed or altered or fabricated mm. in some way. Yeah. Um, same thing with with all kinds you know all kinds of digital uh, information, even text and and stuff like that. So th- it, it's added some new layers uh, into the newsroom to make sure that the reporting is accurate and and doing what you know the the what has always been part of journalism, which is make sure that you're uh, got your facts straight and um, you're you're, t- you're you're telling the right story. I was just going over some of the uh, new jobs in journalism that I was unaware of. Uh, uh, I never thought I would be a digital optimizer. That's a job in journalism. Uh, yeah, the uh, director of media solutions. I can understand yeah. that. Director of media entrepreneurship. What about yeah. the consumer experience director or the <laughs> digital consumer experience director? What is that job description? Well, it's funny how these things go. So. Um, you know, there was a time about 20 years ago where newsrooms were hiring people to be community connectors. And so the idea was we were we were so focused on talking to officials, we were not getting good information from citizens of the community mm-hmm. who had deep knowledge and, and could talk on an issue. And so newsrooms were hiring these people to be connectors. And I think what you're seeing there is a digital version of those jobs. Interesting. I just want to say, because this is a pretty amazing statistic, that in 2016, last year, 97 percent, and we'll put this out there so that all those counselors will know that journalism is still (laughs) a viable uh, occupation, that in 2016, 97 percent of your graduates either landed jobs or were in graduate school. That's a pretty impressive statistic. It's a great statistic. Thank uh, you. Uh, that there's a lot of hard work behind that. Uh, the you know so I've been dean here for two years, and when I got here, one of the statistics that stuck out in in uh, my learning the intricacies of the school is that two thirds of all the television stations in the United States recruit at the Missouri School of Journalism every year, and most of them come twice. Mm. And I mean it's it's just amazing. And so our students get placed into jobs. And because we own the NBC affiliate and the NPR station where we're doing this interview today. And the daily um, newspaper. And the daily newspaper mm-hmm. and a weekly magazine and the Missouri State Business Alert uh, business publication and Global Journalist, as well as two paid advertising agencies that have major clients. Like I, I think that uh, last semester or last year was uh, Ocean Spray Cranberry, but they've had Tostitos and Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I mean, it, it's kind of amazing. But we get students' jobs, and the students come out with uh, what the professionals tell us is about a year and a half of professional experience. And so they start at better stations and newspapers and digital operations, and they move up more quickly through the uh, through the ranks. And so if you want to talk to the person who runs the uh, CNN digital operations in Atlanta, Georgia, well, that's Meredith Artley, who is one of our grads and is really fantastic. I was actually, uh, yesterday I was at CNN in New York, 
um, and had a meeting with Jeff Zucker, their um, CEO, and right. also one of our alums, uh, who is Ramon Escobar, who is in charge of talent development worldwide for, uh, for CNN, which is a, an amazing job. And so there are lots of things there. But one of the discussions, which I think fits what you're, you're talking about here, is that the jobs are changing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, where we used to look for print editors, and we still need those, the focus is becoming more and more on uh, digital editors and digital producers. And uh, what the folks at CNN said yesterday and have said before is you cannot produce them fast enough. We have jobs uh, we're waiting for you to turn them out. And and I'll tell you, we're turning them out quickly, but uh, we we have more to turn out. And one of the things that we try and make sure is that our classes are small. And so oftentimes students are in a class of eight or 12 uh, uh, individuals in the class. And that takes a lot of extra effort, and it's an expensive way of teaching. But that started in 1908, the first day the school opened its doors as the first school of journalism in the world. And it's we call it the Missouri method. It's the gold standard of teaching. And that is professionals with professional experience in the classroom, on our faculty, teaching students to do the work and go out into the world. And, and they're, they're doing the work in real media outlets that face the community. So student media is not under the, the school of journalism. And I think that's why we won the National Hearst Television Award this year. We had the number two student in the country uh, for radio uh, uh, news uh, at the Hearst competitions. But in two weeks, I'm going to the National Edward R. Murrow Awards in New York, where KBIA is picking up its uh, uh, National Murrow for the fourth year in a row. And KOMU, our our NBC affiliate, is picking up two National Murrows. And these are students and and working with faculty and staff producing content and competing against other professionals to win these national awards. And there just isn't another school in the country that can say the same thing. It's just a game changer. Dean, we have to work Randy Picked into this discussion. Oh, yeah, he's a great guy. He keeps keeps poking me here. (laughs) Okay, let me ask Randy, how do you see Uh the, how do you regard the model of public radio? Do you think that that will survive? Yes, I think public radio is awesome. Well, and it's seeing growth. I mean, I I assume you guys are seeing growth down there in in audience. but maybe what Randy can speak to that's uh, maybe more in the, the, the realm of future journalism is, is the podcast that we're doing, and I mm-hmm. assume you guys are doing, uh, and then moving on to some of the things we're doing with the Apple Watch and artificial intelligence that really are in the focus of how the Reynolds Journalism Institute is shaping journalism for the future. Okay, sure. well, we're going to, Randy, we're going to just put a little period there. I want to get back get... to the Reynolds Journalism Institute when yes. we come back from yes. our break. And we'll okay. also get to all this new, the new things you just alluded sure. to. Speaking of with Dave Kirpius, uh, the Dean of the Missouri School of Journalism, and Randy Pickt, Executive Director of the Donald Reynolds Journalism Institute, which we're going to find all about, find out all about when we come back from this break. Stay with us. And we're back with our guest from the Missouri School of Journalism, David Kirpius, the dean, and also the executive director of the university's Reynolds Journal Institute, Journalism Institute, Randy Pick. If you'd like to join in, you're certainly welcome. Our number, 1-800-743-9576, 1-800-743-WLRN. Also, email 
radio at wlrn.org, radio at wlrn.org. Please keep the emails brief. Randy Pick, tell us the story of the university's Reynolds journalism, and also tell us a little bit about Donald Reynolds and uh, <laughs> the, uh, the philanthropy that he's done, especially in the, uh, in the Midwest in journalism, and some of the odd things about his grants that he's given to his, his will to his children. Are you aware? Well, uh, well, uh, Donald Reynolds was uh, uh, was Newsman. born in Oklahoma, and um, he came to the Missouri School of Journalism, and his as did mentor, Sam Walton, by the way. Yes, and uh, his mentor was Walter Williams, who was the first dean, who basically was the founder of the Missouri School of Journalism, and um, he he got his degree and he went out and uh, started working at newspapers, started selling advertising, um, and kind of started to realize that the the best way to make it would be to be the owner. And so he started buying small newspapers and then he bought more newspapers and then he bought some other things like radio stations and outdoor advertising companies. Quite a mogul. Yes, it was a media conglomerate and um, started a foundation in the 50s uh, to give back to the communities that he was a part of. And that foundation uh, invested and and was very successful and uh, uh, grew to be able to do a lot of good things for all kinds of entities, mainly um, universities and hospitals. So if you are traveling in the Midwest, in uh, Arkansas and Oklahoma and Missouri, uh, um, you'll see things that have the Reynolds name on it. Uh, our, our institute uh, on campus, we have the Reynolds Alumni Center, which was the first uh, uh, significant gift that, that Donald Reynolds gave to the University of Missouri. Um, my son went to the University of Tulsa, and they have the Reynolds uh, Arena, where they play basketball. So um, he, he did a lot of uh, good things for the communities that uh, helped him uh, make his fortune. Well, tell me. I'm go sorry. Ahead. I was just going to ask you to tell us about the uh, Journalism Institute as yeah, well. So we, we opened our doors in 2008. So next September will be our 10-year anniversary. And, um, you know, plain and simple, if we were going we to tweet our mission – it would be that uh, we are around to ensure that journalism has a long and bright future. And so every day we come to work, and that's what we do. We are devoted to trying to figure out how to make journalism stronger, uh, better, and, and ensure that it is as vibrant as possible. And we do that in lots of, you know, we have a fellowship program where we invite people from the industry that have uh, uh, innovative ideas to come and, and uh, work on them. We work with the students and the professors. Uh, we, we work on uh, particular, their, their last project when they're in their senior year. We go out in the industry and find newspapers, TV stations, uh, digital news outlets, that want to work on some new idea, and we we get the students to work on it. Um, and we also have other kinds of projects. Um, 
you know, as as issues come up. Right now, we have a couple things about fake news. Uh, we just yesterday got a $100,000 grant from the Knight Foundation, which is in your neighborhood, um, to work on a project that we call TrustingNews.org, uh, which is addressing the, uh, the, the problem that news organizations have with, with people, their audiences not really trusting what they're reporting. And, uh, you know, that's part of the whole issue with uh, facts being questioned, people right. manipulating the news and all that kind of stuff. Well, could we discuss more about fake news yeah. and also the president's obvious disdain for today's journalism and, uh, and his use of Twitter? Although his professional you journalist, have to note how do that you he, see that? Well, you have to note he spends a lot of time watching CNN because he talks about them a lot. And so uh, he's, a, he's a big news consumer himself. Uh, but, you know, the uh, I don't really think it's our place to get into the middle of a, of a political uh, discussion, but journalism is important. It's important to the success of our democracy. It, you know, our democracy is built on having the fourth estate and having this information and, and the uh, independent uh, reporting of what's going on. And so I think that the the any attacks, not just the president's attacks, but any attacks on on quality journalism hurts our democracy. And, uh, you know, one of the things that stands out, you asked, had things changed in the way we teach? Mm -hmm. I think we focus even more than we used to on double checking the facts before you go out with a story, even though you're under heavy deadline pressure, heavier deadline pressure than even five years ago. And that if you make a mistake, because remember, they're humans doing this and humans make mistakes, the, the good journalism organizations are the ones that will absolutely come back out and say, hey, we made a mistake and here's what's accurate. And they'll put it up in a prominent place to make sure that people know the truth. And uh, I think that's important. And a lot of the places that are not high quality uh, journalism operations or not journalism at all but purporting to be that do not make corrections and don't set the the uh the facts straight and so um i think so often people use this broad definition of journalism and i think we need to be more Are you saying there are there, there there does tend to be more mistakes today because of the urgency and the and the competition uh, to be to be to be fast before be before even I think um so so there's pressure to be out there early because journalism organizations and just uh, digital media in general knows that being out there first helps them garner a larger audience and you want information to get out to an audience. If you're pressuring groups or individuals to get information out fast, there certainly will be an increase in mistakes. But I also have seen that when uh, a mistake is noted and because of the the digital environment we live in, uh, if you make a mistake or you get an inaccuracy out there, you get a lot of information back on the, how that's wrong and, and, you know, the journalist needs to go check that Dean, out. Do you, do you and think, so it gets corrected faster. Do you think that because of the importance of web views in today's markets, that uh, the web views drive sometimes the uh, some even the newspaper websites to be, the online sites to be a little more flamboyant, a little more sensational? to keep luring uh, web views? You know, so if you're asking me if uh, journalism organizations are taking the equivalent of cat videos, 
uh, to get people, you know, clickbait. Well, is what I wouldn't it's go called. that far. Um, uh, we're not we're not going that far. I think that there is a greater focus on giving uh, citizens the information that they want and and trying to have that story last a longer time. So. Uh, Ten years ago, it was drop in, do the story, and you're done. And now there's a discussion of, you know, let's get some basic information out there early. And so you get little tidbits there, and then let's build a story around it, and then let's add some audio or some video to it. And so it's more of a storyline than a single story. I don't know. Randy, what do you think? Yeah, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is that there are now many – more and better ways to uh, analyze what's going on with your with your website. So maybe, you know, in the past, page views was the primary thing, but now there's time spent on site and and other similar kind of analytics. And newsrooms have access to these these powerful tools to measure what people are interested in. And so, they they don't have to make assumptions about, well, we need to write a headline this way because this is how we're going to get clicks because they would, you know, get that information after the fact. They can see in real time how a story is performing. They can move the story around the site based on those analytics. And, you know, then they can do follow-up reporting. Uh, and sometimes these newsrooms get surprised when they put out a story and they're like, wow, look at this. This There's a lot of interest in the community in this. Let's move this up to the top of the page. Let's get a reporter to write something about this tomorrow. Let, you know, that kind of stuff. Those kind of decisions and uh, opportunities were just not available, you know, even two years ago. Hmm. We're speaking with Dean Dave Kirpius of the Missouri School of Journalism and Randy Pick, Executive Director of the Donald Reynolds Journalism Institute, our last break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. And we're back. It is today's Topical Currents. Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman, along with David Kirpius. He's the dean and professor at the, at the Missouri School of Journalism and also the university's Reynolds Journal- Journalism Institute executive director. He's Randy Pick. Our telephone number, if you'd like to join in, 1-800-743-9576. We have a couple of lines open. 1-800-743-WLRN. Also, radio at WLRN.org. I just have to point out that uh, Polly Landis, who produced today's show, has everybody in the studio in Mizu journalism <laughs> t-shirts, oh, <I> love it. <laughs> except for Polly, who has a KBIA. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I want a picture. Somebody take a picture and send it. No, I refuse because it it's over our clothes. We don't look very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I think that when you're in the spirit, we gotta we gotta have a picture. Okay, Randy, I wanted to ask you this because we before we took a break before, and I said, you know, do you think the model of public radio will survive? And you were talking about something to do with an Apple Watch that's being used. I don't know about that. And something else you mentioned. Could you go back to that? Sure. So um, we, you know, one of the things that makes the Institute special and, uh, and, and an especially fun place to work is that we get to explore the, 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 the new technology. Uh, we have um, a computer scientist on our staff. Um, and we have a student competition that is focused on 
challenges around technology. So uh, two years ago, we the Apple Watch was was new. So we challenged the students to come up with some innovative things that journalism could do with the Apple Watch. Mm. And the winning team, uh, just to try to condense this, basically what, what, what happens now is when uh, someone goes up to the uh, lectern to start talking, journalists go up with their iPhones and they set them up there and they record what the person has to say. Um, and then they go back to the newsroom and they have to listen to the whole thing and type it and get, look for quotes and stuff like that. This it takes it it takes a long time. When I was a jur- when I was starting in journalism, we you didn't record anything because it was really a challenge. If if you were in print, not if you were a radio person. <laughs> right. Sorry right. about that. Right. But, no, we understand. But so so the students came up with the uh, this app for the watch that allows you to control your phone from your watch, and it's basically three buttons on your watch. It's start, stop, and annotate. So you can. Um, Mark spots in in the in the talk that you want to uh-huh. highlight, and then when when the talk is over, they had a uh, option where you could send it to uh, IBM Watson. IBM Watson is the artificial intelligence service that IBM has, and they have a real time transcription program. So you from your watch, you send it to IBM Watson. It sends you back a transcript. Uh, you know, in a few minutes. With the annotations? With yes. the annotations. Oh, my. That is so cool. It's amazing. So Dick Tracy has been surpassed. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's what everybody says. Yeah. So, um, and so, and then part of the student competition, um, they when they win, they get a trip to go pitch their idea to uh, Apple. Uh, or in that case, we went to Apple. Sometimes we go to Google. Sometimes we go to venture uh, capital uh, startups in New York. But the winning team gets to go and pitch their idea and get to talk to different folks in, uh, in, in big tech. So, um, so that's, what, that's what we did uh, with, with uh, the Apple Watch. But we're constantly developing – you know, uh, last year, real quickly, we had a fellow from Cuba – who said, you know, the challenge, who was who from a digital news operation in Cuba, Cuba's only digital news operation. And he said the challenge in Cuba is that pe- people don't have uh, Wi-Fi, so they can't get our news. So could you make a app that would deliver news uh, some other way besides Wi-Fi? So we did. We made an app. So the way it works is somebody goes to a place where there is Wi-Fi, Okay, let's say it's Havana, mm-hmm. and they download the 15 stories from that day. Then they go back to where they live, and there is no Wi-Fi. They can deliver that news via Bluetooth just by going into a room, and and people can pick up the news using their their uh, phone-to-phone connection. Um, and we're very excited about that. Uh, you know, we think there's lots of places – around the world that that would be helpful and and actually in the United States as well. Right. So being able to have that technology component and and get the um the energy from the students and and their ideas, you know, they that Apple Watch thing was their idea. We didn't, you know, they they recognized the need for it and then 
figured out how to make it work. So Randy's being Midwest nice and, and very modest here. Um, two quick things. One is that the uh, when they were at Apple, IBM Watson developers were there as well, and the students got swarmed at the end, and those developers are now helping the students work on taking that product to market. They also got startup funds from the university and a startup group in town. And if you look out to some of the previous work, um, one of the uh, – uh, apps that was developed in this competition just got, I think it was $3.2 million in oh, investment. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a real company. And so this is something where students can come and do good work for journalism, but it changes their lives and their fortunes. And uh, it's all happening at and, the Missouri School of Journalism. Yeah, that that's one, pretty amazing. I was going to ask if anything would have, if, does anything ever come of it? Like when they go right, and speak yeah. to Apple or, or yeah. you know. Is that Recordly goes, about to come out on the market? Recordly's yeah, they're going to yeah. come out in the app store. You know, one of the challenges is that these these guys are in school, so yeah. they come yeah. up with these great ideas. They and have then to graduate. Like, what are you going to do next? <laughs> well, I got to write a paper. You know, right, uh, right. With their five the, million dollars. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the one that uh, that that Dave mentioned is called Safe Track, and it's also a very cool app. Again, students came up with this, which is they were looking around campus at there's emergency phones around campuses with like a blue light on them, and if if you feel unsafe, you can pick up the phone. And they did a survey, and no, no, none of the students really knew what they were for, or what, what, how to use them, or anything like that. So they created this app that's basically a big button. And when you leave the library at 2 o'clock in the morning, you open up the app, and you put your thumb on the button, and you walk to your apartment. And as long as you, you, know, as long as you have your thumb on the button, everything's fine. You, when you take your thumb off the button, you get a, a message that says, here's your security code. And if you don't put in the number, then uh, a service can be alerted. The, their original idea was the police would be alerted, mm -hmm. and they would have all the information of where you were and all that kind of stuff. So they have turned that into a business that just re relocated from California to St. Louis and got – uh, a big investment from the founder of Starbucks, uh, over $3 million. But you, you think about journalists. I mean, you, journalists go into some unsafe situations. What a great app for right, them. Right. Think, about, think about realtors. Um, they're with people they don't know going into homes that are empty, and so they can use it. I mean, the, the opportunity here is really, uh, is really quite amazing. And the same and, thing with the watch. They're, I mean, journalists, that's perfect for journalists, but it's also we've heard from doctors and lawyers that say, I'd like to be able yeah. to use that as well when I'm taking a deposition or when I'm, you know, so, dictating. Yeah. So, oh, Joe, yeah, it's, not your, it's not your old journalism <laughs> school. It's really changed. <laughs> no, it's not your... Uh, I've got my spiral no <laughs> notebook. <laughs> and Joe always has a good supply of pencils. Number well, two... Good. Actually, they seem like they're number three. Are these number... Number one. I mean, number one. Number yeah. one. Yeah. They never go out of fashion. Tell me, uh, Dean, we only have a minute or so left, yeah. but if uh, we have young people listening now, perhaps they're working on their high school newspaper or something, what's yeah. the best way to get into a premier journalism school such as Missouri, Columbia, Northwestern, and et cetera? Well, so I would encourage them to come to our summer workshop, and our, it, you know, 
notice I'm not calling it a camp. Uh, it really is come do journalism with some great journalists that we fly in from around the country. And so we do that every summer. It's called the Missouri Urban Journalism Workshop. It's one of the oldest in the country. And so that's a place to test drive us. And then the other thing to do is um, if you really are serious about it and, and want to work in real media outlets, then come for a visit. Bring your parents and, and come for a visit. And you can uh, contact the school. Just go to our, our website and um, you can set up a visit. We'll have uh, students take you around. We'll make sure that you see this beautiful campus and, and the opportunity. Um, I mean, this really is kind of a neat place. It's a true college town. And, um, you know, so come see what we do. and Come sit in on a class. Come go out to KOMU, our, our NBC affiliate, and sit for a newscast and talk to the students who are the reporters on air that day about their experience. And, um, and then you, you can apply. I'll tell you, the one thing that's really cool about Missouri is as a state land-grant institution, if you come to the University of Missouri, you have to pay out-of-state uh, fees your, your first, and tuition your first year. But if you stay and work through the summer, you can get uh, residency. And so the last three years of college, you're paying in-state tuition and fees rather than out-of-state. Hmm. So and that's guidance about counselors a, take note. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. like a $14,000 scholarship, and all you have to do is work and earn $2,000. and I mean, it's a very low bar. And so you could come to the World's Journalism School, this really fantastic place. You can we, – we have a great track record, as you noted earlier, on getting students jobs and into graduate school. And you can look at our alums and the success they've had, and you can do it at a pretty low cost. And so – See, We'd Joseph Cooper. There we, come. there we go. There's yeah. the success story. <laughs> he is, he's been he doing is this a true success story. He's, <laughs> yes. he's done a great job and had a great career. It's true. Yes. Congratulations, it's true. Joe. Thank you. Well, we want to thank Dave Kerpius. He's the dean of the Missouri School of Journalism at the University of Missouri. Thank you very much for being with us, and we wish you the best. Thank you. And Randy Pickt is executive director of the Donald W. Reynolds Journalism Institute. And I have to say, for my part, I feel much better about the state of journalism right now after talking to you. So uh, well, thanks thank for you. that. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, and, well, and. and Joe, come back and see us. Well, let's we, get. We don't like it when our alumni get too far away. Well, let's get the Tigers going too. <laughs> well, we're working Tigers on it. We're looking forward to basketball season. That's uh, going to no. be a big year. Yeah. Okay. And thanks, Joe, very uh, much. how about uh, M I Z? <laughs> Mizu, yes. Yes. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Thanks so much. Bye. 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 And that wraps up today's edition. It was produced by Polly Landis. Technical support from online content producer Jason Zabka. Richard Ives is lead producer and handle our calls. Thanks to Nathan Lawrence, KBIA-FM, Columbia, Missouri. As always, it's easy to download free audio archives of each program at our website, WLRN.org, and listen anytime to the iTunes podcast. Also, there's links and chatter on the Topical Currents Facebook page. Chatter, did you say? A little bit. But not dribble. Pictures. Okay. And tomorrow we, t we return our observance of South Florida history. We'll go way back with FSU history professor Andrew Frank. He's written the book Before the Pioneers. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman, thanks for listening. Next, it's live coverage from the White House of a news conference from President Donald Trump.